uh, in this tabernacle system and why God uh, gave us what he gave us and gave them so many years ago. Um, and so I, I'll just use my slides, I think, to help prompt me, but these are the different things we'll be looking at. Tonight's just the tabernacle overview, and of course we've got other things happening tonight as well, and so we'll just do an overview tonight, and then we'll pick it up again with the courtyard and, and different things like that and go through it. Um, I don't know for sure what the layout looked like. I mentioned last week that when you look at the measurement or, and the, um, the numbers of the tribes, and we'll talk about this in a minute, it could easily be a cross. In fact, you can kind of see a cross pattern. I don't know if you can, being where you're sitting. Uh, but there is a cross pattern with the tabernacle as a center, and uh, that's interesting. But regardless, the tabernacle was very central to the camping and to uh, the camp system. In fact, that's what the tabernacle is. The tabernacle is a tent. Uh, it's a movable tent of meeting. The only difference later was the temple was a permanent structure, versus a movable structure but the same system went out through all from Moses all the way up until Christ when the veil ripped in two and then 70 AD the temple was completely destroyed because Christ finished and completed those Old Testament things. God wanted to dwell among his people, the Israelites. He wanted to have fellowship with them and be able to communicate with them. And I want to focus on that word dwell because if you go in John chapter number 1, it says in John chapter 1, you see some verses there and it says, He came unto his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, who are born not of blood nor the will of man, but of God. And it says in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt in John 1.14 is the same word for tabernacle or tented. And that's, that's why we no longer have this tabernacle as the Old Testament showed because Jesus is the picture of the tabernacle. Tabernacle was a picture of Jesus and Jesus now dwells with us. And so uh, there's picture throughout all this. In fact, the tabernacle and its courtyard were constructed according to the pattern. And that's the key word, pattern, set by God. You see, in Hebrews, it tells us that this tabernacle that Moses built wasn't really the original. It was copied off of the one in heaven, the pattern that God gave Moses in heaven. And uh, when Moses met with God on Mount Sinai. And so uh, that's, that's uh, a one thing to understand about it, the, the, the idea that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us or dwelt among us. And we see the pattern set by God, uh, and it's mentioned there in Hebrews. I mentioned it last week, Hebrews chapter 8, chapter 9, and different places. Um, now, I, I want to uh, also go to the next slide, I guess, and, and I'll just use the slides again. We, we study the tabernacle to understand the steps the Lord laid out for, our, for a sinful people to approach a holy God. And, and this is the problem with, like, the Catholic Church or, or, or even a, a Judaism system that still has this priestly system uh, because they're, they're taking Old Testament priests and not recognizing the book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is our high priest and he is the way. And what the tabernacle was doing was showing us that Jesus Christ is the only way. There's only one access to God, and that's through the veil, and Christ himself is that that veil and the, Jesus is the only way John 14:6 I am the way the truth and the life no man cometh unto the father but by 
me. It was built approximately 1440 BC. It was used from the time of the Exodus when they left Egypt and wandered in the wilderness, and that's when it began to be built, until the time of King Solomon when the temple was built. But it was the same system even when King Solomon's day and following because it was just a permanent structure versus the tent that they had called the tabernacle. It was the center of the Israelite camp. The 12 tribes of Israel camped around it in a special arrangement, as we're going to uh, see here in a minute. Um, someone asked me, does that, that camping around the tabernacle, does it, does it coincide with the way the tribes were given the land around Jerusalem? And I thought that too at one time, but it's not, not so. But it's a good question and interesting, but uh, still the idea of them camping around. I want to go uh, to another couple slides here. Here, of course, is what it looks like or a rendition of what it might look like in, in color. And uh, I want you to go with me to Exodus chapter 35. As we look at this, Exodus chapter 35, and uh, we'll see some things there. Exodus 35 and just verse 5. Exodus 35, verse 5, 6, 7. There's definitely a lot of interesting and unique colors with the tabernacle. In Exodus 35 and verse number 5. Take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord, whosoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it an offering of the Lord, gold and silver and brass and blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and ram's skins dyed red and badger skins and shatim wood or acacia and oil for the light and spices. And so there's lots of different colorings here and they all had significance and meaning. Um, around the tabernacle, you had a measurement. We'll go back to those colors in a minute. But around the tabernacle, you had a measurement, and the measurement of the tabernacle courtyard is the picture I showed here. You have this curtain fence, and that would be the courtyard. You have the actual tabernacle tent would, would be inside the courtyard, and all of this is called the tabernacle because some of the furniture is on the outside. The bronze altar was on the outside. That's where the blood sacrifices took place, the animal sacrifices. Then you had the bronze or brass laver, which was a shiny mirrored image, you know, you're able to see your own image in it as you're washing in the water. And so the reflection off the water, the reflection off of the laver itself, they could look in the, into the mirror and wash. And there's pictures of that. James talks about uh, be doers of the word, not hearers only, and how the, we need to uh, look into the mirror of God's word and, and cleanse ourselves. And so there's picture throughout that. And so after salvation, after the blood, then there's still the need to confess, not, not for salvation, but just daily washing up and things like that of our lives. We do that as Christians before we can go into. And so anyway, the, the tabernacle itself, the measurement on the inside of the actual tabernacle was 10 cubits for the most holy place, 20 cubits for the holy place. And then this courtyard was 100 cubits by... Uh, 50 cubits and a, a, a cubit would be about a foot and a half or about the length of an elbow to a fingertip of a man's arm about a foot and a half and so 100 cubits is 150 feet 50 cubits is 75 feet to give you an understanding of the size of this thing not huge a little bit a little bit bigger than the footprint of our building but not much and then of course a much smaller on the inside just to give you an idea of the measurements now um, there's a cutaway here and 
uh, again, those different colors. I, I'm not going to spend too much time talking about the colors. Um, the fine twined linen would be uh, white. That would be the white, um, the gold, the silver, the, the brass or bronze, the blue, the purple, the scarlet, and they all have significant meaning. We'll talk about that more later, not necessarily tonight. Now, um, we'll go back to uh, the tabernacle layout, and we look at the different uh, tribes that are stretched out across there, and we have on the east side, and by the way, this is the only entrance in, the, it's always on the east entrance, an east entrance into the courtyard, then an east entrance into the tabernacle itself. And on this east entrance, closest to the tabernacle would have been the camp of Moses, Aaron, and his sons. So the priests, they, they parked right in front of the entrance. Then on the southern side would have been the families of Kohath. They're also Levites as well. You can find all this in uh, Numbers. Uh, numbers chapter 1, Numbers chapter 2, especially Numbers chapter 2 concerning these Levites and Numbers chapter 3. But the first three chapters of Numbers is where you'll find this. And so you have the families of Kohath, the families of Gershon or the Gershonites, and the families of Merari. You find all that in Numbers chapter 1, 2, and 3. This is, this is the immediate camp right around the, the courtyard. That was all the Levites with Moses, Aaron, and the priests, the sons of Aaron, right there in the entrance. Then around that, you had the tribes, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Issachar, and the tribe of Zebulun. That would be camped out on behind Moses and Aaron and his sons. And then the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Simeon, the tribe of Gad would be on the south the tribe of Ephraim, the tribe of Manasseh, the tribe of Benjamin on the uh, west, and the tribe of Naphtali, Asher, and Dan on the north. And so they would camp and be spread out. Now, the only ones allowed in were the priests. You had to be Levite to be a priest, and only certain of the Levites would be able to go in and do the service in the tabernacle. And so someone uh, pointed out uh, and made this drawing as well and you see kind of visualize what it might look like with all the standards all the different standards or flags representing the different families and of course again Moses and Aaron and 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 the priests would be closest to the front entrance and and so on um, someone pointed this out I think it's interesting I think it's worth mentioning that there was kind of a of a surrounding as I as I told you before and and so you see a circular pattern of the tribes surrounding the entire thing. And they use three W's to try to make us, help us remember this, and I think it's a good way to remember it. You have the warriors. They're the outer rim, and they would be considered the warriors. And, and of course, they, and whenever there were, ever there was war, they would be ready to fight. Then you have a, an inner circle, which would be the, the Levite family all around the inner circle, and they would be considered the workers the workers, and then you had the most inner circle, and they would be the worshipers, all right? And, you know, that's how it is even now. Um, we are, we as Christians, we are referred to as all three things. We are referred to as warriors. Uh, the Bible talks about and war, a good for, warfare as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Um, and we are workers, you know, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. But we are also expected to be worshipers. And what's the most important of those three? The worship. And without the worship, what, what, what does the warrior and the worker mean? What does it really have significance for? And that's what's happened to us even as a, as a nation. Uh, we, we emphasize so much the warrior uh, or the work, 
But we got to remember, without the worship, it all falls apart. And so uh, there's kind of an uh, inner circle there, and as I mentioned before. Um, let me keep going here. I'm not going to. I'm not going to spend too much more time tonight. Um, the Israelites communed with God through the tabernacle, the bronze or the brass altar. Sometimes you see it referred to as bronze, but the the Bible refers it calls it brass. But I think it's similar in in the metal. But the the brass altar was the altar of sacrifices. That that centerpiece just inside the gate, that bigger altar where the animals would be sacrificed. Blood would always be surrounding that altar, that altar of sacrifice. What does it picture? Well, Christians communion with God through Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ was the sacrifice for our sin. That's why he's called the lamb. And the very first thing that you need to do, and we all know this that are Christians, you have to you have to reckon with the blood sacrifice of Christ. That's the first thing. Uh, we don't baptize first. There's no church membership first. There's no work or service first. Maybe that goes on in some other religion, but not in a biblical church. No, the first thing we have to talk about is you gotta, you got to do business with the atonement and understand that you need an atonement for your sin. So the first thing that they would meet and, and come to would be the atonement for their sin. Um, again, then the brass or bra brazen altar or laver, excuse me, that had water in it cleansing and I mentioned this already uh, we the Bible teaches us that we need to confess we don't confess to any human high priest we have a heavenly high priest the Bible says in Hebrews the Bible tells us that we have Jesus Christ as our high priest and so even though I have been saved and most of you have been saved there's always the need to still wash up there's always the need to still look in the mirror so to speak and see the dirt and get things right with God. So this is, again, an Old Testament picture of something that we can apply and visualize as an object lesson. And, and then the lampstand. If you were here last week, we talked about how that inside that tabernacle, the only light was the lampstand. And, of course, the light, the lamp, enlightened by the Holy Spirit of God, seven branches and, and, and their significance on all of that. The table of showbread. On the other side, there would be the table of showbread that that table that had those 12 uh, cakes on it representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And, of course, the Bible talks about fed by the living word. A man shall not live by bread alone, Matthew 4, 4, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 35, he said, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And, and so we see that pictured as well. Then you, they have the small little altar called the altar of incense right before the veil. And that represents prayer and communication, intercession to God. And, of course, this, this is all in order. You, you need to be saved. You need to have that blood atonement for your sin. You need to be confessed and be right with the Lord. You go inside. You, you are illumined. You, you feed on the word of God. And then you pray. You have, an, you have a time of prayer and, and worship and praise. And that incense would, would waft up into heaven as a, as a picture of prayer. And then the veil that separated the most holy place inside God's presence. And uh, we can't possibly, and you couldn't possibly go into God's presence except for this, Hebrews chapter 4. And let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. And see, when you're reading Hebrews with the knowledge of the tabernacle, because the Hebrews was originally written to the people who spoke Hebrew, you know, the Old Testament Israelite understanding, the Jews who understood the Old Testament. 
that's the original context here and you and you you everything opens up as you read Hebrews when you understand that Old Testament tabernacle system and Hebrews chapter number 4 and verse 14 says seeing then by the way let me just back up and verse read, read verse 13 neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in his sight but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens Jesus the son of God let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. They would never think of that. They would never think of going past that veil into the most holy place. That was something that only the high priest did once a year, and it was very a very nervous time. Because you're entering the presence of God where the Ark of the Covenant is, where the mercy seat is, where the presence of God is at. And yet the New Testament is telling us now that Jesus, when he died on the cross, guess what ripped in two? Can you imagine being a priest in the temple the day that Jesus died on the cross? They say that that veil, we'll talk about it more later, but they say that that veil was probably four inches thick. They say that teams of horses couldn't pull that veil apart. It was so intricate and woven and everything about it was so unique. But anyhow, when Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished. That veil ripped from the top to the bottom. I can't imagine the sound that must have made, let alone what that must have done to any of the priests in there, seeing that veil just ripped in two like that, you know. That must have, I mean, that, I, would have, I think I would have probably ran out of there. That would have scared me, not knowing what's going on. But then to realize that that man that John the Baptist called the lamb that just died and the veil ripped just as he died, is that just a coincidence? No wonder in Acts chapter 7 it says many priests got saved, many priests believed on the Lord because they knew what happened inside the temple that day. This is where it started. This is where that whole system and that veil started. And so, and again, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that, that Jesus, his body was, was like the veil uh, that, was, that was ripped open to, to give us access to, the, to come boldly to the throne of grace. And so that's something special. And that's something that we are privileged with. And our missionary uh, next week from Spanish-speaking countries, they they're, they're have been predominantly Catholic in their country. And uh, they still have that old priest system mentality and, and the idea of coming boldly, you know, the idea of actually praying. You, you, if you've ever prayed, you know, Norman prayed in public a little while ago. And if you've ever been asked to pray, sometimes if you are around people who aren't, who, who aren't Christians or, or aren't familiar with that, that, they might say, wow, you, 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 you prayed so, so naturally, like you were talking to God. Well, yeah, that's what prayer is. But see, they don't have that boldness and they don't have that access. They think of some human high priest talking to God for them and uh, they don't think of it that way. And so uh, that veil, it represents the ability for us to go boldly to the throne of grace. And, and then the priest and the garments and things like that, we'll talk more about that later. Um, why is it important today? Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. Today, we today, instead of having a tabernacle or a temple, and by the way, there is no need for a temple to get rebuilt in Jerusalem. None. You're going backwards from the, what God intended. It's not necessary. In fact, the New Testament clearly teaches 
that the individual Christian as well as the local church is the temple of God. Our body, it says, what, know you're not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit which are God's. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And so imagine again getting this taught to you. I am the temple. Whereas you would look at the temple and, oh, there's the, where the presence of God is, you know, the, the holy place, the most holy place, and, and the Ark of the Covenant. No, today the believers, the believers are God's dwelling place. This is why we ought to be behaving different because the tabernacle and the temple was so holy and precious and special and there, there shouldn't be any graffiti. There shouldn't be anything going on that ought not be happening with that body. It's God's temple. God's holy presence is among us. And look with me in Exodus. This is Exodus 40, but look with me in Exodus chapter number 25, I think it is. Exodus 25. This is what God said when he started talking to Moses about the tabernacle way back at the beginning. Exodus chapter 25. Exodus 25 and verse 8. God said, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. God's desire is to dwell with us, to dwell with his people. And then as believers, we are part of a priesthood. We don't need a human priest. We have Jesus, our high priest. The Bible teaches us that. And not only is he our high priest, but we as priests, as believers, we ourselves are considered not high priests, but priests as well. Look with me in, as it says there in 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter number 2. <clears throat> and then Revelation chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 2. In verse 5, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, comparing us to the temple and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. I mentioned this this morning in my, in my sermon. Je Jesus is the head of the corner. He is the chief cornerstone. Peter himself said that. So when the Catholics try to say that Peter was the rock on which Jesus built the church, it's wrong. But notice the church is likened to the temple here. A stone of stumbling, verse 8, and a rock of offense Jesus was to them, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But, verse 9, just like verse 5, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. And it doesn't matter if you're Levite or not. If you're saved, you're a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then Revelation chapter number one. Revelation chapter number one. Again, it says in verse five and six, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings 
and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So what does this all mean? Well, think about it, folks. If we are all considered priests, and this Old Testament tabernacle that Moses built was just an object lesson, just a pattern, just one that was patterned after the earth. In other words, the real temple's in heaven. Then one day when we get to heaven, we're going to be serving around that temple as priests. And of course, guess who our high priest will be? The Lord Jesus Christ himself. So the tabernacle also shows us a pattern of worship prescribed by God. And this will be the last place we'll go to tonight. And that is Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And in Hebrews chapter number 10, Hebrews chapter 10, and starting in verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, and let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This was written in 60-something A.D., 65 A.D. maybe. In 70 A.D., the, the standing temple was destroyed. And and the practice of of the Christian the Christian church and the Christian individual being the true temple of God became the only practice they could have had. They couldn't even operate the old temple system and they weren't supposed to. From the time he died on the cross when the veil ripped in two, that old system was done. It was as if God was saying to the priests, you need to go down to the job corps and look for a new job because this one's done. It's over. And, of course, we have relatives and friends and people who are stuck in an Old Testament priestly system that matters not to anything. Well, it's the object lesson for our relationship to Christ. It's an object lesson. It's, that's what it is. And so when we understand the Old Testament system, it helps us to understand what we're reading in the New Testament and other places in the Word of God. Next time, we'll look at the courtyard and what all goes on with that. We'll stop there tonight, and we'll pick it up next time. And if you want handouts, just let me know. I don't mind making copies. I just don't want to make copies that aren't going to be appreciated or used. And if you have questions, please ask. I try to answer those questions uh, as, as uh, quickly as, and, and correctly as I can. And so please ask questions if you have them, and I'll try to get you caught up with that. And there's, there's videos, and there's even some books. I showed you a poster last week, and there's anything you want to look at and borrow or whatever, please let me know, and I'll be glad to do that for you. Let's take time to pray, and then we'll open into our meeting tonight. Lord, we thank you for our, our opportunity to look at Scripture and to look at the tabernacle system and to just start this conversation and the overview. And we thank you for the object lesson, the visual picture that you give us to help us understand the the heavenly concept, to realize that, that, that through the Old Testament lens, we're looking at a pattern of what the real one looks like in heaven and how that all of this pictures what, what you've seen and what you know to be in heaven. And thank you for the object lesson that we have. As human beings, we need that, that help and that visual. And help us to picture and understand it better and, to, and be more 
uh, aware of what you've given us and the privilege we have to come boldly to the throne of grace and to, and to be able to talk to you in prayer and to go boldly directly to the Lord in prayer. We thank you for that. We thank you for opportunity uh, to exercise as, as a priest, to exercise the ability and the privilege that you've given us. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.